This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org ccnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Um, mostly for the benefit of those who are new, um, this is not usually what we do on a Sunday morning. This is a fusatsu ceremony. It's a, a particular liturgy that's um, important at the heart of Zen practice. Uh, normally, there'd be a Dharma discourse, uh, a talk on the Dharma, um, which... Uh, as it said, is uh, dark to the mind but radiant to the heart. And if I would have to talk about a fusatsu ceremony, I would say it's completely dark to the mind and completely radiant to the heart. So I hope we are listening and taking it in because it doesn't work on the level at all of understanding and linear sequential thinking. It just doesn't. And yet it is completely an invitation to open our heart and to acknowledge our life and to step forward from there. Um, we try and do a, at least one fusatsu on a Sunday per ango, per three-month training period. And we have two three-month training periods a year. And uh, traditionally in our lineage, they're done on a Thursday night. And um, I think we have one more scheduled. The first one that was scheduled, we didn't do because we had a visiting Roshi, and she gave a talk, which was a wonderful talk, and um, and so that's what we did in place. Um, so that makes this fusatsu, and I think the one that Hojin will do, I think maybe right after Sushin, I'm not sure, uh, but there is another one on the schedule within kind of the general framework of the Sango. Um, and the ango that we're studying is uh, our ancestral lineage, our heritage from the time of the Buddha, and really even before, but that's another story, um, to here, to now, to you. Um, and, of course, um, uh, that has many, many ramifications and perspectives. Um, but the one we're interested in today is the most personal one, the, the personal one between you, yourself, your life, and the lineage of the Buddhas and ancestors. And historically, that lineage is viewed as a, a monastic lineage, uh, often a male monastic lineage, which we're working to look at seriously uh, to acknowledge the enlightened non-male lineage holders, um, and continuation of that to the present time as well. <clears throat> and so today we chanted that lineage of the, the women ancestors. And of course, they're not so ensconced in the history, because who wrote the history? You know, it's that simple. Um, but another perspective is um, to feel or think or see the history as a monastic history, uh, Everyone in this room, with one exception, is a lay practitioner. And that one exception has spent most of his practice as a lay practitioner. So um, this is where we are. This is who we are. 
Um, the talk I'm going to give today is drawn from uh, The Heart of Being by John Dodo Lori, uh, the, the first abbot of this temple. Um, and um, I'm, I'm using the chapter on uh, uh, Jakai, um, which I'll explain in a moment, uh, to, to read and comment on. Um, so some of the words will be his words, some will be mine, and they'll kind of blend to one extent or another. Um, but I want to start off with a quote that uh, Daito Roshi used many times, as, and he used it many times because it needs to be said many times. And he said, um, and I think he was quoting Dogen, but I'm not sure, to see the secular as a hindrance is to, as a hindrance to practice is to only know that in the secular nothing is sacred. And that's the life that you see out here, right? You go out in this world and nothing is sacred. It's all secular. It's all, you know, the ordinary stuff that we encounter. Nothing special. It is not yet realizing that in sacredness, nothing is secular. In sacredness, from that perspective of living your life, which really is what Zen practice is, there, there is nothing that is secular. Every bit of our life is sacred. Every little molecule, atom, perspective, thought, deed, word, is sacred. And what does that mean? Um, So he concludes by saying, realize the precepts as your own body and mind and realize sacredness. So that's what this ceremony is about. It's to realize the precepts. It's a renewal of vow, vows, um, which we've taken some. Um, And... Um, they set the, it's, it's one of the pillars that our life can rest on as a Buddhist, uh, should rest on as a Buddhist, which is the moral and ethical perspectives, which seems to be remarkably missing from our life, from our work, from our politics, and perhaps from you and I, if we don't pay attention. So what is the compass? What holds us in, in, a, in a sense beyond the psychological perspective uh, what holds us for, from, from a moral perspective, from an ethical perspective, from a, a, a human in the sense of being fully human perspective? Uh, and the precepts are the anchor for that. And um, other anchors are samadhi, which is the practice of zazen, the practice of studying your own mind, of actually moment after moment seeing your own mind both formally in zazen and less formally in the rest of the time that we're not formally doing zazen. Um, The whole world is zazen. Where do you find yourself? And um, the third is prajna, or wisdom, uh, which does not mean wisdom in the usual sense of knowledge, of course. It means to to actually experience, see, and live out of the non-dual perspective of self and other. And the precepts frame that. And the precepts, of course, as we hear over and over, are not rules. They're subtle. They're profound. Um, They're a guide. Um, The Jakai ceremony that we do is when uh, a student um, feels that they are ready to take up the 16 bodhisattva precepts as the basis of their life in a real and ongoing way, as a study. 
It's both an aspiration, it's a particularly an aspiration, but it's also a study and a practice, and uh, in its own way, an accomplishment. Uh, not as something that has been accomplished, but an ongoing accomplishment of study and practice. Um, and so there's a formal ceremony in which we do jukai, and I'm kind of, I decided to talk, to speak to that, because there's a couple of people who are heading this way from this from the, the temple sangha. And when that'll happen, is still we're still working on that because there's a lot that has to happen to actually hold the ceremony. So Hojin Sensei and I are doing our best to, uh, and some of those things I'll mention here, um, to set the stage for when that happens so that the people who, are, who have requested and are ready to take Chikai, that's the other part of that, c- can take that. And for those of us who have taken Chikai, us, it's a reminder, a refresher, and a review, and an aspiration as well. So the, the 16 Bodhisattva precepts start with taking refuge in the Buddha, uh, in the, both the historical Buddha, the founder of our lineage, and in your own Buddha nature, in, in, in a deep faith, a refuge, a willingness to turn, especially when we're in the midst of our own personal or other suffering, which becomes personal as we practice, to, to take refuge in that. And this, this talk is not about taking refuge. Um, that's another talk, and there's plenty of times we speak to that. But I, I just want to point at that. Um, we take refuge in the Dharma, which are the teachings of the Buddha, Buddhism, um, the Dharma, of course, is reality itself, phenomenon, and it is the law, the law of reality. And those are all a single, whole meaning. And we take refuge in the Sangha, us as the, usually meaning directly the practitioners, but in the Mahayana school understood that no one is not Sangha, nothing is not Sangha, sentient and insentient beings. Um, and we take refuge in that. We then take the three pure precepts, do not create evil. Interesting that that's the first pure precept. So there it is. Evil does not inherently exist. It has to be created. We have to create it. And there it is. I just said it. We have to create it. Uh, practicing good, which means using our life as best we can to awaken, and out of that awakening and practice of awakening, to offer that to all beings, and to actualize and good for others. So it's not enough that we ourselves awaken, but actually offer that to other beings, insentient and insentient. And then there's the ten cardinal precepts. And I'm just going to read them quickly. They each are boundless and bottomless. Uh, A firm life, do not kill. So notice the two sides. Because there are schools in Buddhism that say, do not kill. That's the first precept. That's not the Zen school. That's not the Mahayana school. It's It's a firm life, do not kill. Both sides. That's crucial. Uh, Be giving, do not steal. Honor the body. Do not misuse sexuality. Manifest truth. Do not lie. 
Proceed clearly. Do not cloud the mind. See the perfection. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Hmm. Realize self and other is one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. Give generously. Do not be withholding. Actualize harmony. Do not be angry. Experience the intimacy of things. Do not defile the three treasures. So that is really the heart of the ceremony of Jakai, and it's really the heart of the, the basis to live your life arising from the, the seat of meditation, arising from the seat that the wisdom of our life has been transmitted from Buddha to Buddha to this time and place and entering that, actually entering that as your life. So the lineage of the ancestors. One of the things that happens in a Jakai ceremony is that the student receives a lineage chart. And it is a presentation of the unity with the ancestors. And those ancestors have preserved this practice and transmitted the precepts. The precepts are a transmission. They are a transmission from teacher to student. So when when a student receives the precepts, they're acknowledging that they're entering a continuum with the lineage of the ancestors. They're actually entering that. And that begins with Shakyamuni Buddha. And here it is today, now. That's that lineage. The chart itself is patterned after the formal document that is used in the actual transmission from teacher to student in which the, teacher, the student becomes a teacher. That's the transmission of the Dharma. During that, um, so what I'm describing is that chart uh, and that offering of that chart is an integral part of Dharma transmission and it takes place at the end of formal training, of course. And what I'm describing is what happens in the Soto school of Zen Buddhism, which this is a, uh, a temple of. During transmission, uh, during the, the Dharma transmission, the disciple does a lineage chart by hand, copying the teacher's lineage on a large piece of silk, And I can tell you, having done that, and most of you know I have a tremor, and it's a large piece of silk, and it's tiny, tiny writing, and there's a lot of names, and it's in a very particular small box, and done in a very particular way, on silk. How many errors are you allowed? (laughs) That many. (laughs) So that lineage is verified by the teacher. The teacher actually, when you're done, the teacher looks at that and goes through it line by line, then by line by line by line by line by line by line by line. I mean, how many names do we chant when we chant the full lineage? 
and transmitted to the disciple who is becoming a teacher in her or his own right. The tradition of this lineage chart dates back to the sixth ancestor, Wei Ning. And it's been passed through Tungshan and Zhu Jing, who was Daido's teacher, and it was transmitted to Dogen and came to Japan, and now it's here in the West. And it, that lineage chart for the now new ancestor makes conscious the makes real the the life stream of the ancestors which are now flowing in the new teacher's blood. And it's real. In the course of that ceremony, there are many other things that happen to bring forth the ancestors. And they're all in that room. That room is the Buddha Hall in the monastery. And while it's not an enormous room, it's not a small room, and all the ancestors come forth in that room and are present. And I'm not speaking metaphorically. And that's part of the transmission. And so the chart is saying that the life of the Buddha and ancestors and our life's life are identical. And so this is the chart, a modification of this chart, is the chart that the person taking Jukai receives. Now, they don't have to draw it. That would, they don't have to draw it. <laughs> it's done for them. It's part of the preparation that we're working with. But it's also part of the process of invocation. And invocation in Buddhism means a particular thing. Uh, it's part of the process of invocating the precepts, which is the lineage of the ancestors, of the Buddha. And when we're invoking, what is invoking? It's causing something to occur. It's not, you know, you throw up some magic dust and poof, a genie appears. It's not like that. You're causing something within yourself and not limited to within yourself to appear and be made visible to you. And what you're invoking is the ancestors, this lineage. And Invoking can only happen, truly happen, with the whole body and mind. So in our service, we chant the names of the Buddhas and ancestors on that lineage chart. Now, the way we do it is one week we chant the male ancestors, the full male ancestor, and one week, as we did today, we chant the full female ancestors. And yet, during each service we are in an abbreviated form chanting the other. So every service always holds both. And you may not realize it in the dedication. It may pass you by, but it's there in the dedications, both sides. Now, chanting it is one thing. Invoking it is another thing. Naming it is one thing. Realizing it manifesting it, actualizing it, is quite another. And these are aspirations. They're not mountains to be climbed that we succeed or fail. They are aspirations. They are practices. 
They're a work in progress. And we notice them mainly when we fail. Isn't that how practice works? Our practice is a practice of, from a, a psychological and self-reflective place, a practice that we're failing, that our mind is getting lost, that we are not upholding the precept of, of give life, don't kill, which includes but goes way beyond the physical killing. That chart at the top of the, the Buddhist ancestral lineage is a circle that stands for unity, wholeness, the pure dharmakaya. And we hear that word. Um, you could look at it as infinity, as emptiness within fullness. So there's a circle. Inside is empty, and yet the circle is full. Though it's also interesting, and there are many different types of ensos that you've all seen in Zen Buddhism, uh, but Zen in particular, it's sometimes emphasized that the enso... And, um, um, that we use is not a complete circle. And why is it not complete? That's our job, is to complete it. We fill that in with our life. It's also called the jeweled mirror of samadhi, that enso. And it's the eighth stage of practice. And it's, it's realization. It's complete realization. And we have, I have upstairs the 10 ox herding pictures which feature this, and I've been trying to manipulate someone into putting them up in the Buddha hall (laughs) because it's beyond my competence to put them up in a straight line, but hopefully they'll be up there sometime. Um, Isn't that a hint for a volunteer who (laughs) who can hang 10 pictures in a straight line? So that circle is the Dharmakaya, which is one of the three bodies of the Buddha. Um, and again, this talk is not about the three bodies of the Buddha. The other two is Sambhagakaya and the Nirmanakaya. They're crucial as well. But the Dharmakaya is the Dharma body of the Buddha and is the fundamental principle prior to the creation of the universe. It is your Buddha nature. It's what we realize in practice. It is the place of equality of the Dharma world. Now, the Dharma world is this world, the equality of the Dharma world, which is essentially empty of anything here, now. And it's what's realized. That emptiness is what's realized. And it's also, and here I'm quoting Daito Roshi directly, it's the way of all sentient beings, whether they have realized it or not. Ordinary beings and sages return to this pure dharmakaya equally. It has unceasingly continued from ancient times to now. It continued. It's never not been present. This is why it is sometimes called the unceasing blood lineage. So out of the pure Dharmakaya emerges the names, the name Shakyamuni Buddha, and from that it goes to Mahakashapa Buddha, and it proceeds to Ananda, and so on and so forth, from generation to generation, to Daito Roshi transmitting to Shugen Sensei, transmitting to his successors, to this hall, to that hall, 125 miles away or whatever, which is 
happening now as well. On the chart, the names are written vertically, and the lineage passes up and down, and up and down, and up and down. And then it goes to the next line, and there's an unbroken line through these names. So right through the names is this line, which you also draw on the silk (laughs) with a compass. And so that lineage goes through from Shakyamuni Buddha to the ancestors in India to the generations in China and through Dogen to Japan and through the generations of Japanese ancestors and finally down to the name of the preceptor, the person offering Jakai or what is based on transmission. And guess whose name goes on that chart after the preceptor? Your name, meaning the name of the person taking Chikai. The student receiving the precepts is written in. And then the line continues, going back into the circle of the pure Dharmakaya. It disappears back from where it came from. So it's a circle. And it's in red because it's a bloodline. And that redness, I mean, think about blood. Think about a mother giving birth to the child. There's always blood. There's an intimacy there. And that intimacy is different and yet the same as a blood family intimacy. As I experience it, it has its own uniqueness, its own connection that I can't describe in any way. And um, Daito Roshi says, when students receive the precepts, in a sense, they are saying, that chart is my life. That is the way I want to live and practice my life. That is my intention in receiving these precepts, my deepest vow. And they are in that circle. We've always been in that circle, every one of us. It's just that there's a clear intention of the person taking Jakai, a clear invocation and a clear response to that invocation, and a willingness to practice that invocation, and to realize that invocation is their life. And it's an expression that for me to hurt you, I not only think or have some sense, but directly experience that I'm hurting myself. And on and on. The chart is folded in a particular way, and I'm, I can't really des- describe it well, but it's folded in a particular way so that both ends of the chart meet and they merge. And at that place, the teacher places the Chinese character for meeting or unifying and then places a seal on that chart.
So in receiving Jakai and receiving that lineage chart, we're placing ourself in the lineage. And we're making a vow to live our life in accordance with these precepts that have been handed down from Buddha to Buddha to you. Another part of the ceremony is um, that the teacher offers the student a Dharma name. So I'm not talking about the, um, the Raksu, but the, the Raksu is inscribed with that name. And that's not a casual thing either. That name is, is the teacher puts a lot of thought into what that name should be. And it's, it's also a transmission. And um, it marks a, a transition. It's, it's a place where something has shifted. And when a Dharma name is, is picked, it's very conscious. There's a lot of consideration. It's not arbitrary in any way. It relates to the relationship with the student, their relationship to practice, um, the personality of the student, uh, how the student goes about their life. Um, um, sometimes it's a way of pointing to where the student might go. It's being suggested. Sometimes it's an indication of where the student already is. What the student does with that is theirs. And, you know, I'm describing what happens in our lineage. Uh, You could do this all online, by the way. Obviously not in our lineage. And I'm not speaking of what comes before the student does Jakai, because there's a lot there. Both the week, there's a week of preparation uh, that they're in residency and working with that. Um, so there's a before and after to the actual ceremony. And I hope for those of you who are new here or are students practicing who have not taken Jakai that this, uh, the point is not to inspire you to take Jakai. The point is to honor within yourself the ethical and moral teachings that are already present as you. And for those of us who have taken Jakai, it is to honor that taking of Jakai anew, freshly, so that we can do our best to live the life of a bodhisattva, to actually help in the ordinariness of our life, in the ordinariness and the everyday suffering and boredom and distraction and all of the things we may feel in the course of a day, good and bad, and to know that that is sacred. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about the monastery's programs, weekend retreats, and residency, please visit our website at cmm.org.